So what happens tomorrow, okay? Now, how many of you are, are excited about that? Not many. Oh, come on, parents. Come on now. How many of you, you're just really dreading it? All right. Now, uh, I have conducted a scientific poll, okay, and uh, based on my research this week, uh, all the students I asked, uh, 5% of them were excited about going back, okay? Uh, 95% of parents were excited about them going back, all right? Now, 100% of adults with no children were just ticked off because now they had to slow down for the school buses, <laughs> and they're going to have to get up a little bit earlier. So you see, it affects us all, doesn't it? Uh, think back, uh, for those of you who aren't in school anymore, uh, how did you react to a new school year? Uh, excited? Or... A little bit afraid, apprehensive, the unknown, you know? I thought back on the, the new school years. That's what we want to talk about today. And next week, two weeks on new school years. I thought back on my new school years. I remember first grade. Or the, I didn't go to kindergarten, but I went to first grade, and it was a full day. You know, they didn't wean you in, you know, with a half a day or anything like that. And I remember sitting at that desk in the sixth hour thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die here. Uh, I went home and uh, got home. Uh, I, the uh, waste management guys, the, the garbage collection guys were out front and they were picking up. And I said, Mom, do, do garbage collectors have to go to college? She said, no. And I said, that's what I'm going to be. <laughs> Fifth grade, we moved in the middle of the year uh, to Virginia. And I remember my first day. It was in January. It was the middle of the year. So about 10 o'clock, I walked into a classroom of 25 students who all knew each other and had formed their cliques and all that kind of stuff. And every one of them are staring at me, thinking, who is that weird-looking, funny-looking guy there? So that was a little different, uh, too. Then I remember my first day at uh, Walker Middle. Uh, and now it wasn't a class of 25 strangers it was six classes of 25 strangers. And, you know, that was a little scary, too. High school. Well, I'd kind of gotten used to the, you know, the school thing, the new school thing, all right? But uh, I really loved sports. And, you know, I, I, when, uh, you know, eighth grade, I was going to play. In ninth grade, I was going to play football and basketball and tr run track, okay? So it wasn't just the school. Now it was the locker room. Okay, and when you're a first-year guy, what happens to first-year guys in the locker room? New years, new school years. They can be a little scary, can't they? What if when I was uh, six years old, I just, I didn't go to school? What if I refused? Didn't have that choice, but what, what if I didn't go to school? What if when I was 10, I decided, well, I'm not going to a new school with a bunch of new kids in this new state that I don't, even, I don't know anything about. What if I didn't go to middle school or high school or then to college and then to graduate school, okay? And I didn't get my degree in waste management. I chose other things, okay? But what if I'd have done that? What if I'd refused a new school year? I would have missed out on so much. Those new school years, they, yeah, they were scary, but they were amazing 
next steps. Learning new things, meeting new people, letting God grow me and, and work in me and, and bless me and use me. I mean, you know, that, all those next steps. And see, now, when you're a kid, you don't have a choice. You have to go to new school years. But when you're an adult, you don't have to do it anymore, do you? And the sad thing is many, many don't. And the reality is, as long as we're alive here on earth, God sends us to new school years. And, and many of us, we have finished with new school years academically. We never finish with new school years spiritually. When we become Christians, God enrolls us in the lifelong school of learning. You, you're a student. In God's lifelong school of learning, there, there are two really big courses. They're required. And you know what? You take them every semester. <laughs> you take them every day. In the lifelong school of learning, there's love. That's a required course. How to love God and to love others as God wants us to. And I love Ephesians chapter 1. And here... Uh, Paul, who started the church in Ephesus, he's praying for them. And, and what does he pray? He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in the love of God, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp, to learn, to learn every day a little bit more about how wide and how long and how high and how deep Christ's love is. You see, that's something you, you learn every day more and more and more because God's love is just so vast. Jesus' love is just so vast and amazing. It takes you your whole life. Every day you can learn something brand new about it. And to love this and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that's what we do in the lifelong school of learning. It's a class that we take every day. And that makes sense because Jesus said that was the first and greatest commandment, didn't he? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the center of your being. Right here is this, yeah, my life, it isn't just about me. It's about God and his love for me and what he created for me and what he wants me to do. Love the Lord with all your soul. God made us in his image, made us like him so that we could love him. And that we could love other people like he loves us. We're made in his image. That's loving with our soul. So that we love God with all our strength. That's what we do in life. You know, we exert energy, strength. We move to do things. God wants us to love him so that we do something based on that love. And with all your mind, God gave us his word. He gave us truth. And, and when we read it and, and comprehend it, then he asks us to do it. Love the Lord. You see, that's what it's all about. Now, does anybody here love the Lord perfectly and totally like that? No, I don't. Man, I, I just fall so far short. But see, that's why you're in school. Be, because God, he doesn't kick you out. He, he helps you to grow and learn more and more about his love every day. Loving him, loving other people. Hey, let's be honest. We, we might think we're loving people, but we have people we don't love. We have people we're mad at. 
<laughs> we have people we're not talking to. We have people we're avoid. You know? Hopefully it's not the person you're sitting beside. All right? But we all have people like that in our lives. Has anybody mastered love? No, that's why we're in that lifelong school of learning. The second required course I want us to talk about is life mission. You're not here by accident. You just didn't show up. You didn't choose to be born. You're not the product of time and chance. God wanted you here. And God designed you just like you are because you have a unique mission in his eternal plan. He designed that for you. You've got a lifelong mission. But see, if you have a lifelong mission, that means you have jobs to do every day. Yeah, you don't you know, live for 60 years and then on, on the, the next day you accomplish your life mission. No, you accomplish it every day. Well, how do we find out what it is and how do we do it? We're going to go to 1 Samuel this week and next week. Uh, chapter 16, next week, chapter 17. And in these two chapters, there are two men, two people, that we see God enrolled them in the lifelong school of learning, just like he's enrolled you. Okay, as we read about them, we can determine how we get in, how we, how we, uh, how in this school of learning, how God teaches us and how God works in us. Now, it's very interesting. The two people are, are David, King David, you know about him, and Samuel, he was the prophet. And what's really interesting to me is that David was a teenager. He's probably 15 years old, okay? Samuel was in his 90s. Now, what does that say to us? In his 90s, God is taking him in a new step. He's still in the lifelong school of learning. So I just got to say to you, friends, unless you're over 100, you're still in the school. You know, there are still things that God is teaching you and God is going to use you to do in your new school years. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as the king over Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel. Samuel, it's time for a change. It's a new school year. Samuel, fill your horn with oil, your little pouch with the anointing oil. Go on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse, who lives in Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the new king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Because if King Saul hears about this, I'm dead, right? Samuel's God-given mission for that day, all right, was to go and to anoint the new king that God had chosen for Israel. Now, did Samuel want to go and do that? No. And there's two reasons why we want to talk about that. And these are two dynamics of change. Is change easy? No. Is growing easy? Is maturing easy? No, it isn't. And there are two dynamics that are just so strong and so powerful that most of us struggle with to one degree or another. Okay, even if we like change, we still struggle with these two things. And the first one we read about in the first verse 
is mourning over change. Why didn't uh, Samuel want to go and anoint a new king? Why did God have to say to him, Samuel, stop mourning over Saul? Well, one of the reasons is Samuel had anointed Saul. <laughs> All right? And anointing us, what they did for kings, that, that show we elect them, they get the electoral college, okay, okay, they're present, okay. In that day, they were anointed, that meant they're king, okay. Saul had, Samuel had anointed Saul as king, and Saul started out great. Because in the beginning, he obeyed God, he did what God told him to do. But then he started doing what he wanted to do. And so God says, well, it's over. And he told Saul, it's over. So God told Samuel, now it's time to change kings. But the problem, one of the problems, Samuel was emotionally attached to Saul. He had anointed him, right? And we humans get emotionally attached to people. And we get emotionally attached to processes, the way we do things. We get used to doing them th that way. And there's good in that. I mean, it's a good thing, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to say, now, wait a minute, how do I get out of bed? How do I get dressed? How do I brush my... No, habits are good, okay? Except if we get so emotionally attached to one process, the way we've always done things, what's the result of that? It'll keep us from doing the new things that God wants us to do. Are you attached to the way that you've always done it? Now, some of you would say no. Well, let's find out. Okay, would everybody, would you just fold your arms? Everybody, you know how I do that. Okay, just fold your arms, all right? Okay, now fold them the other way. That took some, some thinking, didn't it? Some of you are still trying to do it. Every day, 10,000 churches in the United States die. See, it's, it's okay that you just fold your arms one way. But every year, 10,000 churches in America die. And one of the factors is that we as Christians, we can get emotionally attached to doing things and doing church the way we've always done it, the way it worked really well in the past, but it might not work that way anymore. Has our world changed? Have people changed? Has technology changed us? Absolutely. Samuel was a man of God. But Samuel, God had to tell him to stop mourning over a change that he had to make. And see, that's a powerful dynamic. We need to understand that. Donna asked me to change things every now and then. And a lot of times, what she's asked me to do is going to be better. But I'm emotionally attached to what it was before. We need to be aware of that. The second, fear, or second dynamic is fear of change. And, and uh, the second verse tells us about that. Samuel was afraid. Why? For a very good reason. You just don't uh, go anoint a new king when the old king's still there, do you? In that day you didn't because your head would be chopped off. Fear of change. Now, 
It, God's going to ask you to, God asks us to change uh, every day in our life, to make changes, okay? Now, have any of you ever had your head chopped off? No? Okay. So, you know, you haven't had to face that. And most of our fears were only like emotional fears or fears over not that some that didn't even matter in the first place. But we have to realize that dynamic, that this fear of change. Well, what if it doesn't work? What happened? Saul did what God asked him to do. Excuse me. Samuel did what God asked him to do. He anointed the new king. Who was that new king, David? The greatest king Israel ever had. King David, the greatest king Israel ever had. The great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Was that a good change? Did it work out? Samuel's been in heaven for 3,000 years now. Do you think there was ever a day that Samuel looked up in God and God said, God, I wish you hadn't asked me to do that. No, every day he's thank God. Thank you, God, for helping me take that step of faith. Friend, it's a new school year for all of us, not academically, spiritually, to do new things God asks us to do, to do exciting things, things that will impact us and impact others. We have uh, core values here. We have seven of them. They're in your bulletin most weeks. All right. Two, one of them is we take next steps. That's very hard. The older we get, the more hesitant we are to take new steps. But that'll just kill us in, in our love for the Lord and love for other people and the excitement and the blessing. We take next steps. One, uh, one another, or another of those core values is growth, which we're all called to do. We're called to grow. God wants us to grow. You want to grow. Growth equals change. You, you can't grow if there's no change. And kids love to take the next step. They love to do new things. But, you know, as adults, we can decide we don't want to change anymore, which is to decide I don't want to grow anymore. And when we stop growing... We just start shriveling up and dying. You know, I mean, adults, we face this. You know, uh, when, when I was a kid, I, I grew really early uh, and was 6'1 by the time I was in eighth grade. Now I'm six foot. Now I'm shrinking. Okay. <laughs> but, I, and man, I ate. I went to a birthday party once when I was 10, 9. I ate five hamburgers. These were not McDonald's hamburgers. These were the home grilled ones, you know, that were quarter, half pound. I ate five of those. The lady's gone. I could eat like that. Never gained weight. I tried to put on weight, you know, in high school. Couldn't do it. Then, and then one day it changed. <laughs> it changed. Now, some of you have experienced that. And what happens when your metabolism slows down and all that kind of stuff? What do you have to do? You have to change, you have to change your diet, change your exercise, or what? Or are you just going to keep putting on more and more weight? 
and getting more and more unhealthy and die because of it. They've done studies. (laughs) One of the studies I read about recently was it says, if you will exercise for 20 to 30 minutes four times a day, you will extend your life like five years or something like that. I mean, there is a direct correlation and connection. How many of you are excited about the new school year that God has for you? Oh, let's not tell God no way. Why? Because we are following the way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ, and he will lead us. Why does God enroll us in new school years? Because none of us have arrived. None of us have finished the work that God gave us to do. Now, one man said that. Who is that? Who said, I have finished the work God gave me to do? Who said that? Jesus said that. Okay. Now, when did he say it? Anybody know? He said it at the Last Supper. In John 17. Now, that was the night before what? He died, right? So, if you truly have finished the work God gave you, that means you're dying tomorrow. How many of you want that? We've got work. Do you want to hear God say, well done? So, if we're going to be like Jesus and do everything, we need to make those changes. Now, the other person, I've got to hurry here. The other person is David. We're going to talk a lot about him next week in in 1 Samuel 17. But Daniel here in this chapter also took the next step because those two verses tell us that God chose David and anointed him to succeed. That's what anointed means. Not just, you know, put a little oil on your head. It means it's God giving all the authority and power that a person needs to do the job that God's called them to do. And see, that is so true. Now, you're thinking, well, you know, God has anointed me. You know, he hasn't spoken some big voice and, you know, given me this huge mission or something. So you might be thinking, well, God hasn't anointed me to do something great. 1 John chapter 2 says this, but you, John is writing to Christians, you have an anointing from the Holy One. If you're following Jesus, you've been anointed. Anointed to do new and great things that have eternal value and significance. Verse 6, we've got to hurry on. When Samuel arrived at the house, he saw Eliab. That was David's oldest brother. He thought, surely this is the guy. Surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. He was chosen to be the bachelor. Okay, I mean, he was that good looking, all right? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, the world thinks that good looks and money and degrees and accomplishments and athleticism are the most important things. 
What's most important to God? It's our heart. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But the Lord said, no, that's, he's not the one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. Samuel said, no, that's, the Lord hasn't chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons. He had eight sons. He had seven of his sons pass by. The Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, is it, this, these are all the sons you have? Well... <laughs> There's one more, you know, but he's the young guy, and he's the runt of the, of the litter. He's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for David and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint this one. This is the one. When you uh, give uh, a one-year-old a Christmas gift, you know, it's all wrapped up, it's got a bow on. When you give a Christmas gift to a one-year-old, what do they do? They start, you know, grabbing, and then they get the bow off, and they put that in their mouth, and then some paper, and they, you know, and all this. You know, they just get so focused on the wrapping, they aren't even thinking about the gift inside, and you know, that's what we as humans do. We look at the wrapping. God looks at the inside. The Lord looks at the heart. God saw what David's family didn't see. They thought he was just a gangly teenager with pimples. No, God, what did God see? God saw a new king, the greatest king of Israel. God saw a giant killer. We're going to talk about that next week because you've got giants in your life. He had a heart after God's heart. What does it mean to have a heart after God's own heart? You know, the Bible best defines its own terms, okay? Acts chapter 13, <laughs> uh, Luke uses this story, and he tells us uh, what it means to be a person after God's own heart. After removing Saul... He made David their king. God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. What does a, what does a person after God's own heart do? They do everything I want them to do. When I tell them I want them to do something, they do it. They don't say, well, I don't want to do that. When I tell them I want them to do this, they don't say, well, God, that's a big change. And, you know, I don't like change. To have a heart after God's own heart, we do what God asks us to do. And we think, you know, when we say, well, God, I can't do that. I have said that hundreds of times in my life when God was speaking to me. We all have. God, I can't do that. Let's jump down to verse 13. Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on... The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And we step up and say, God, I don't, I don't know how I can do that. But if you're telling me to do it, I will. What happens? The Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon us 
to do what we couldn't do in and of ourselves. But God does it, and now he gets the glory, and, and we don't, which is the way it's supposed to be. If, you, if the Lord wants you to do something, and you say yes, he'll come powerfully upon you. I've heard Christians say, I can't pray. Does God want you to pray? Of course he does. He wants you to talk to him. If you'll say, yes, God, I, 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 I don't think, I, I don't know how I'm going to pray, but I want to. Well, you'll learn how to pray. You'll pray. Do you, do you want to serve the Lord? A lot of people say, I can't serve the Lord. I can't do anything. I, I'm too afraid. I'm too shy. I'm, I'm not trained. Do you want to serve the Lord? That's the only thing that matters forever. The Lord will come powerfully upon you. Do you want to give? You know, giving, just that increases our love and our, our heart for God and for other people when we give, you know, because now it's not just... And there are a lot of people who you really challenge, really stretch, and they say, I can't give. If you want to give, the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you'll receive so you can give. You see, it's so easy to get stuck in a, gray, in a rut. And the old country preacher described a, a rut as a grave with both ends just kicked out. It's so easy for us adults to get stuck in a rut. We're called to surge forward by the power of God's Spirit in us. You've been sitting still now for 30 minutes, haven't you? No, you haven't. You've moved, you've changed positions. I mean, if it was only uh, you know, blinking and all, no, but most of it, you've moved. Uh, eight hours of sleep. Are you still? Do you know how many times you move? Uh, a research doctor, Dr. Schulman, said average adult move. If that's for me, tell them I'll call them back, okay? Dr. Schulman studies the average person in eight hours of sleep will roll over 13 times. God created our bodies to move. <laughs> he did not create us to stand still, physically or spiritually. And what happens to people who have to stay in bed or who do, who choose to stay in bed? What happens? They get bed sores. What happens to Christians who don't move and just, you know, come to church and sit in the pew? You get pew sores. I just made that up. That's not a medical term, all right? But you do. Change. Need to hurry. There are two kinds of change. There's good, bad. There's good change and bad change, right? Not every change is good. You should not make all the changes that people that people want you to do or that you want to do or whatever. Well, how do you know what's a good change or a bad change? How do we avoid making bad changes but still do the good changes? See, you can say, well, I'm not going to change anything and all oh, that's the best. No, no, then you won't make the good changes. How do you avoid making bad changes but go after good changes? You make the changes God wants you to make. If God wants you to make a change, it's a good one. It's good for you. 
Did Samuel make that change? Yes, he did. And it was the greatest change of his life, perhaps. He didn't want to change, but it was God. But because he did, uh, God blessed him in powerful and awesome ways. Don't you want God to do that in your life? Don't you want to experience those kinds? Of, don't you want to live that kind of life where you're in sync with God and he's moving you and directing you in this way and you go? That's life. The last thing in closing. Jump down to verse 14. I've always thought, wondered about this verse, and I studied it this week. Now, it, it says the Spirit of the Lord came on David, but what does it say about Saul? Verse 14. Now, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And here's where everybody gets hung up. What in the world? And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. God sends evil spirits on people? I don't think so. I don't think God sends demons into people. Jesus sent them out. That word evil, it means a tormenting spirit. It, it is defined by the next phrase. It's a tormenting spirit. And friend, that's the reality. When we refuse, when we say, God, I know you want me to change. I know what you want me to do this thing, but I don't want to do it. When we decide we're not going to change as the Lord wants us to, we're going to be tormented with guilt. We didn't do what God said. We're going to be tormented. We're going to suffer the consequences of disobeying God and grieving the Holy Spirit in us. So this morning, new school years, as I thought about all those new school years that I didn't want to do, you know, sometimes it was fear, and sometimes it was, I just don't want to do the work of change. Let's be honest, that, those are the realities. But if I had refused to do those two new school years, I would have missed so much growth, so much reward, so much excitement, so much joy. I probably wouldn't be married to Donna. I probably wouldn't be, you know, here at Sarasota Alliance. Now, before you say hallelujah, I, I just... <laughs> watch yourself, okay? In the new school years for us here at Sarasota Alliance, Oh, man, I remember 20 years, uh, over 26 years ago, when 37 people over in a little building on South Lockwood Ridge Road said, this, this building, this property is too small. We've got to relocate. And we found out it would cost, you know, $2 million to do it. And 37 adults voted yes. Because we believed God wanted us to make a change. We don't know how he provided and all, th all through the years, there's been changes and new things that God directed us to do. And we decided to focus on children's ministry and student ministry. And Mike announced two weeks from today is Water Day. Now, why in the world would a church have a Water Day on a Sunday morning? And, you know, after a short service, you know, go out and there's pools and ice cream or um, um, snow cones and the, the water slides. That doesn't sound very spiritual. Why would we do something crazy like that? Because we want to show people who don't know the Lord that knowing the Lord is the greatest, most exciting, funnest, happiest, wonderful thing they could ever experience. Tomorrow, the a coffee ministry will start. The Monday morning coffee ministry, 10 years ago, guys said, how can we show people in our neighborhood that we love them. Well, let's give them free coffee. Give their kids a free donut, chocolate milk, whatever, orange juice. 
And so they've been doing that for 10 years. They're getting up at 5 o'clock on Monday morning so they could show. And man, people's lives have been changed by that. And we're, we've got new school years here at Sarasota Alliance. We're, our children's ministry, we're just we're so excited about a new thing we're rolling out. It's called Alliance Kids. And we're excited. It's going to be a great program. And we're partnering with Lakeview Elementary and Lake Sarasota Homeowners Association because God said, hey, I got some new school years for you. I got some new exciting stuff for you. It's going to make a difference in people's lives. Oh, Christian, don't miss out. Don't miss out on the new, great, wonderful things God wants to do in you, for you, and through you. And next week, we're going to see how when we go to a new school, God's new school, that he enables us to slay the giants in our life that have us so terrified we're afraid to do what God wants us to do. And when God's ready to slay them, would you bow with me? Oh, God, thank you.